Welcome to America's Top Rebbitons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema for Hava Sarah Badhayalea. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show Rebitson Shula Brisky. Rebitson Shula is the co director of the Chabad of Thousand Oaks in California, where she teaches adult education classes and enjoys exploring the deeper dimensions of life with her students. She has created two cur- curriculums that are being used by other Rebitsons worldwide, and she's also a contributor to Chabad.org, the Jewish Journal, and other publications. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thanks, Vera. It's a pleasure. Um, I can tell you about myself and my life. Uh, I've lived in California for 20 years, specifically in a beautiful suburb called Thousand Oaks as a Chabad Rebbitzin. We're about 45 minutes north of Los Angeles. As a former Brooklyn girl, it makes me so happy to look out the window and see green grass and mountains. Some days the mountains are deep blue and it makes me so happy. I love singing and playing piano. And as you mentioned, we have a Chabad house where we strive to share the joy of Judaism with young and old. And while I teach and create holiday programs, my husband and my children are at the heart and center of my life. I feel truly blessed to have seven children of all ages and stages, which is challenging at times, but also makes life so full and so rich. And I'm grateful for each and every one of them. I, I think probably the most powerful classroom in Yiddishkeit is the Jewish home, and the mother is its greatest teacher. So when I think from that perspective, it humbles me that Hashem entrusted me with this task, and I work hard to take that seriously. And my children are my biggest preoccupation and my biggest accomplishment. That said, I deeply enjoy the intellectual stimulation of teaching and writing. Um, I actually teach women in my community, but high school girls as well in a Jewish high school nearby. And it's always incredible to me. There are times where I literally teach the same curriculum to high school girls and women in my community. And it's amazing to see the absolute relevance of Torah to young and old. In fact, there was a, a, a week recently where I learned the same exact verse from the Torah with my six-year-old and then with 16-year-olds <laughs> and then 56-year-olds and all other ages. And it was absolutely relevant. And I love when that happens. Um, I learn so much from my students and therefore I would say that I'm a teacher and I'm also a student because um, they inspire me. The women in my community, many of them are looking at different uh, concepts in Torah for the first time. And I see it through their eyes and see their growth, their spiritual growth. And it's deeply inspiring to me. Um, Let's see, when COVID happened, um, I think a lot of us had moments of existential reflection. We were wondering what we're doing, how we're doing. A lot of our usual work activities were gone. And for us too, our Chabad activity stopped. And I began something then um, that I've continued till today where I reach out either by phone or I visit one person per day. Wow. And I really feel like after all these years, I'm going back to the basics that the Lubavitcher Rebbe really wanted when he started sending couples all across the world to far-flung corners, um, which is the value of the personal touch. And I think I got back um, into, into that occupation and um, that's been a gift until now. Um, I love words and languages. So I have a writing business and um, 
I, I often feel that my writing business is like a shluchas in itself. It's a calling um, because our words create meanings. And um, I write bar mitzvah, bar and bar mitzvah speeches, eulogies. And while we have traditions and rituals that create meaning, you know, in life cycle events, words create a special stamp of significance. You know, I think of God, who is the ultimate speech writer, who wrote the Torah, and he God says, that um, he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. It's with that script that we enter Shabbos. How would the world know that Saturday is a different day than Friday, than Sunday, if we don't articulate, if we don't verbalize it? Yes, we have the rituals, but it's our words that pronounce to the world, that affirm to ourselves that today is a day of holiness. The words are very powerful, and there's a reason why us humans are called the medaber, the speaker. We could have been called many things and we are also souls, but over and over again, uh, the Torah, Judaism refers to the human being as the speaker. And, um, you know, animals also communicate, but their communications about survival, um, pra practical warnings about predators, it's not about intellectual or abstract ideas. So that's really what distinguishes the human being is that we are speakers, we use words. And speaking about Shabbos, that's how we end Shabbos. How does Shabbos end when we say the words, Baruch HaMavdal ben Kodesh Lachal, blessed is the separation between the holy and the mundane, the holy day of Shabbos and the weekday, the secular days. Um, it's our words that bring an end to the Shabbos for us. Um, so I do love my job. I love the writing, whether it's Bar and Bat Mitzvah speeches, wedding toasts, I, was, I had the privilege of ghostwriting for a woman who was being honored at the UN recently. Wow. Um, but it's not just finding the right words. I feel like what makes it a calling is finding the meaningful words to inspire others. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. But you're right. You're so right. Words really have meaning. When we speak, we, we create. We create our future. We create who we are. We become through our words. I think it's really, really powerful. Very well said. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, I know that you're passionate about gratitude. It's really, it's really such an important character trait to have. So let's delve deep. Um, can you please talk to us about what gratitude is and give us some practical tools on how we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude within ourselves? So gratitude is simply being grateful for what is here and what is now. I think if I had to put it in one sentence. Yeah. Um, and gratitude is truly the key to happiness. You can't achieve true happiness without gratitude. It's not possible. Um, you know, if we think back to times where we've been happy through no strong effort, just because life was so overwhelmingly good, whatever it was, we got a lucky break, a promotion at work. Uh, we, were, we were struggling with one of our children and we got this incredible unexpected phone call from the teacher to say how amazingly well they're doing. Um, in such moments, we don't really have to work to feel that gratitude. It's just a natural rush that happens, a natural rush of gratitude, of appreciation. Um, so in those moments, you know, the gratitude can come naturally. But we don't have to wait for good or electrifying, amazing things to happen to feel gratitude. Right at this moment, and I mean literally in this moment right now, as we're talking to each other, we can feel gratitude by just being completely present and living in this moment. I mean, first and foremost, we can tap into the gratitude that I'm alive and breathing 
at this moment. And if I'm breathing at this moment, it means that God needs me here for a purpose. I have value and I have clean air to breathe. I have a delicious cup of hot tea that I made effortlessly with fresh running water in my teapot, took no effort at all. I'm enjoying the sensation of the wood floor under my toes. I'm grateful for this podcast <laughs> where which has shared so many wonderful insights and wonderful presenters. There's so much to be grateful for and I can go on and on. Um, but just living in this particular moment, there's so much to be happy about. Of course, there's the bigger things. I could say I'm grateful for my beautiful family, my health, the meaningful life that I get to live here in Thousand Oaks. But the point is that even when we're feeling unlucky or having a stressful day, a challenging day, at any given moment, there are literally a thousand things to feel grateful for. And I mean the word a thousand. My lungs are working. My body is regulating its temperature, which is in itself a miracle if you think about what has to happen for a thermostat to work properly. I can see perfectly, the sun is shining outside and on and on and on. And, and again, when we take the time to cultivate gratitude, it just naturally leads to feelings of happiness and well-being. And who doesn't want that? Right. You know, gratitude is really a gift that we're giving ourselves. So I've always had an obsession with etymology, um, as someone that likes words and languages. And specifically, I love the etymology of Hebrew, of Lashna Kodesh, because Hebrew is the language of God. And there are secrets of wisdom in the Hebrew language. You know, in Hebrew, when you have a root word that has dual meanings, they're always interrelated and teaches a generality of wisdom. Unlike in the English language, when you have homonyms, like, you know, I, I see with my eyes or see as in the ocean, it's a fluke. I mean, sometimes they are connected, but oftentimes they just sound the same. There is no connection between them. But in Hebrew, they're always connected, root words that have dual meanings. So the Hebrew word machshava, which means thought, has the same letters as the word simcha, which means happiness. So what's the connection between them? To me, it shows the power of the human mind or thought to create an emotion, a feeling. So here we're saying that machshava, my thoughts, is what creates my happiness. Or as Sylvia Bornstein said, it says, happiness is an inside job. We are in charge of our happiness. So, you know, it's interesting because if you look at the English word for happy or happiness, uh, it, it tells us just the opposite. What does the word happiness come from or happy? It comes from the root hap, which means luck. So it's almost the opposite. If I look around myself and my external circumstances are wonderful, fantastic. That means I'll be happy. And if they're not wonderful or I'm going through challenges, then I can't be happy. Whereas Judaism says it's, it's on the inside, it's internal. So if my thoughts, if I have positive thoughts, then that my positive thoughts, my inner thoughts create my happiness. And, you know, I, I, I think everyone would agree that gratitude is a value but for this value of gratitude to be preserved and consistent, it needs to be bound to an action. And I know some people write gratitude lists every day. My husband has a, um, a custom every Friday night where he goes around the table and asks everyone to say something that made them happy or something, something good that happened to them that week. Judaism gives us blessings 
literally dozens. If we actually said all the blessings in one day, it would be over a hundred. And these blessings are built in opportunities for gratitude. Um, because there's nothing like articulating our gratitude, thinking it, feeling it, yes, in our hearts, but articulating it, verbalizing it. Again, we're the speakers, Medaber. And thanks to the liturgy, thanks to the sitter, to the prayer book, we have it all covered from literally the moment we wake up until we go to sleep. We have plenty of prayers to help us tap into this gratitude. Starting with the Moda'ani prayer, which is what we say the second our eyes open before we get up, before we refresh ourselves, brush our teeth, go about our business, the second our eyes open, we say the Moda'ani, which is not, it's not a blessing per se, but it's a prayer of acknowledgement and of thankfulness, um, which ends so beautifully. It starts off thanking God for giving me back my soul, that I'm awake this morning. And it ends with thanking God for his faithfulness in us. Of course, we need to have faith in God, but this prayer ends, Rabbi Munasecha, your faithfulness in me is great. In other words, with all my uncertainties and can I get through this day and do I count and will my actions matter or can I get through my to-do list? There's someone that has my back that has faith in me to make this into a meaningful day. And I think what's so amazing and powerful about this prayer is, you know, it's not natural to start with gratitude. We have this gravitational pull to think about ourselves and our problems. I mean, think about where people's minds usually go when they wake up in the morning. I know if it's me, my natural state is to think about what I accomplished yesterday, what I have to do today, if it's going to be a good day, if I have reasons to be in a good mood. And before I even go there, or as I start to go there, the Modani prayer centers me and reminds me, hold on, gratitude. Thank you. I'm alive. If I'm alive, that means God needs me here. And he has faith in me to do what's needed. So then we have a huge variety of blessings. Um, one of my favorite ones is the Shehechianu blessing, which is thanking God for bringing us to a particular moment. A lot of people associate this blessing with lighting the holiday candles. We're thanking God for bringing us to a new moment in time, a time that has a different energy than the day before. When you enter Pesach, it has a certain energy. And Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah. Um, but Shehechianu, this blessing is also said when, for instance, we are eating a new fruit, a seasonal fruit that we haven't tasted in many months. We say the regular blessing on the fruit. If it's a pomegranate, we'll say the Bori Priya eats. Thank you, God, for giving us a fruit that grows on a tree. But we will also say the Shehechianu prayer, which thanks God for, again, bringing us to this unique moment. So what's happening here? Judaism is encouraging us to appreciate not just the, ripe, the sweetness of the pomegranate and the red color and the seeds and the juice. We're appreciating a subtlety here that this is the newness of the fruit that my taste buds haven't tasted this in many months. So it's not enough to be gratitude. We have to tap into all the different intricacies and details that make tasting a pomegranate an incredible experience. And then we have a blessing over thunder and lightning. We have a blessing when we see an ocean. We have the, the more uh, uh, powerful blessings in the sense that they mark intense events where we say blessing if our life was spared, if our life was in danger. 
And of course, there's the blessings on all the different categories of fruit, the foods, grains, fruits, veggies, etc. Each in, belonging to a different category, which has a different blessing. And if we're mindful and really stop to appreciate what each blessing means, I mean, when we take a slice of pear, if we think about all the steps that had to be taken for us to have that pear, it's quite remarkable. Someone had to plant the seed, the, the, the rain had to flow, the soil had to be rich, someone had to pick the fruit, put it onto a truck, get it to a supermarket, had to, to get it from, pick it in the supermarket, slice it open, and now it's mine to eat. And it, you know, it often makes me think how in agrarian societies, I wonder if people are just naturally more in tune with the source of their blessings, that so much hinges on God for them to have their parnassa, their livelihood, because when you're working on a farm, you look up and you just pray that it rains and that the soil is good and that the weather is good. And um, perhaps, you know, there's a certain spirituality working in that type of field. So, you know, these blessings are readily available on Chabad.org and Hebrew English prayer books. But just starting with Moda'ani really, I think, signifies the essence of what a Jew is about, starting our day with gratitude. And um, so, yeah, so what is gratitude? Gratitude, I would say, is being present, being present in the now, appreciating what's in our present, and the blessings that we have help us get there. And very, uh, I believe we're going to talk later about the importance of directing all of this gratitude to God. Yes, yes. Oh, definitely. For sure. For sure. I, you know, I really love what you said about happiness is an inside job. It's so true. And you were talking about how thoughts create our feelings of happiness. I think it's just, it's, it's phenomenal because we really have control over our thoughts and we can create our own happiness. It's, it's amazing. And as you were saying, all these blessings that we have in Judaism give us so much to be thankful for. So um, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. It's a very good perspective. Um, and so I want to ask you, what are some of the obstacles that can get into our way when we're trying to develop this attitude of gratitude? Because I think people really do want to be grateful. I just, I think some, for some people, it's, it's difficult to really just focus on what they have and focus on their blessings and to really enjoy, as you said, like to take a moment to enjoy the pear, to take a moment to enjoy the sunshine and the flowers and just look around us and be grateful for what we have. I think you know, I think it's difficult for people to stop in, in the midst of all our busyness to do that. And also, I want to see what are some of the solutions that we can implement so we can push through and really, really instill that gratitude within ourselves. I think probably one of the biggest challenges to gratitude is that we're insatiable. Mm -hmm. This is a human trait. You know, God created us this way. But, you know, like with all tendencies, there's some natural tendencies that we should embrace and others that we have to fight. Um, and some natural tendencies that are positive in certain situations and negative in other situations. But in this case, to just feed into our insatiability, I mean, yikes, we will become, we'll become slaves to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Because the nature of the human being is to always look for more, want for more. And how many times have we seen in our own lives or other people's lives where there's this attitude of if only I can have this problem resolved, or if only I had X or less of Y or whatever it is, then I will be happy. And if, I know for myself, if I look back at my life, this is where I also feel like the comes in where, you know, I look at God's track record. 
all those if onlys, so many of them got fulfilled or took away or solved or whatever the problem was. But then we move on to our next preoccupation and our next desire, because that's yes. again, the, the, the human nature. And the only way to combat that insatiability is to remember that whatever we have is exactly what we're meant to have in this moment, nothing more and nothing less. Again, that gratitude in the now that we were talking about. And um, again, we're gonna talk later about the importance of giving gratitude and address. But you know, when we start the day with Modani, that's how we combat this insatiability of saying, I need to do more, I need this, I need that, I wish I had more energy. <laughs> Hold on, gratitude first, right? And yes. tapping into that ability to see the incredible gift of life before anything else. Um, you know, in Pirkei Vot, known as the Book of Ethics, there's the verse, who is truly wealthy? Someone who is happy with what he has. To me, this verse is saying that having enough is not about an amount. It's our relationship to what we already have. Interesting. If what we have is making us happy, if our relationship to it is positive and we're grateful for it and savoring it, then it's irrelevant if we have a lot or a little. I mean, you know, I don't have to tell you that there are extremely wealthy people that are unhappy and people yes. that are struggling financially that are that are uh, that are happy. Sorry, I meant to say opposite. wealthy people that are unhappy. So it seems like there's almost no correlation between our circumstances and happiness because we see people that have a little or a lot and some are happy and some are not. So yes, it's our gratitude and combating this insatiability is about our relationship to what we already have and savoring that and knowing also that that's what Hashem wants me to have. And if this is what Hashem gave me, then this is my lot to be happy with, to be grateful with. By the way, there is one form of insatiability that is good, not just good, amazing. Hasidic philosophy teaches us that when it comes to material matters, to always look to those that have less because what happens then, we naturally feel so grateful. Wow, look at what God gave me. And when it comes to spiritual matters, always look to someone that has more. So in this way, insatiability is fantastic. How wonderful is that to be surrounded by role models that have mastered things that I'm still spiritually struggling with. This person mastered their temper and this other person mastered um, patience. And this person is just naturally so giving and overflowing um, and generous with other people. That is a beautiful thing to be insatiable about. And we're supposed to be insatiable and not satisfied. We're not supposed to say, okay, I've grown enough spiritually. We're supposed to be growing until the day we die. So that form of insatiability is wonderful. Um, so another obstacle to gratitude is that our emotions naturally dissipate with time. Again, this is how Hashem created us, that over time, emotions dissipate. You know, you think about someone that buys a new car and the feeling as they drive it off the lot and the smell of the new car and everything's squeaky clean and all the bells and whistles are working. And um, you think to yourself, like, is it even possible to have that same intensity of gratitude and happiness 10 years down the line when it's got dings and scratches and things are not working so great? And actually, the answer is yes, we have to we have to work actively to keep that emotion of gratitude alive because guess what? 
there are so many people in the world that don't have a vehicle at all. And I'm so grateful that I have a vehicle that gets me from point A to point B. Um, I can go virtually anywhere that I want. And what a blessing is that, that I have a working car to get me places. So we have to fight it um, to, keep, to keep this gratitude alive. You know, in some cases, the, this dissipation of gratitude is a gift. When we look in the Torah, we see that Yaakov, um, when his children came to him and told him, his sons told him that Yosef had been killed, um, he had a very intense grief. And the commentaries say that this grief did not lessen for 22 years. Wow. And God gave a special gift again about this dissipation of emotions. And specifically with grief, this is a blessing because, you know, for a person that, that struggles with a loss, the dissipation, the softening over time allows us to breathe, to think, to, to, to cope. So why didn't this gift happen to Yaakov? Why didn't this grief dissipate? Because the death didn't happen. Yosef was alive and well in Egypt, and therefore the dissipation of emotions couldn't happen. But wow. we see. It's an amazing perspective. I never thought about it that way. That's, that's like fantastic. It's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we see that in some cases, this dissipation is a gift. And in other cases, when it comes to gratitude, we have to actively keep those emotions alive, which is why, again, Modani is so powerful because it's not natural to just be grateful, you know, for all the things that we've had for so long and that we can take for granted. We need to keep that emotion alive. Um, another obstacle is just that we're simply so busy with all the technology in place. I think it's made us busier and made us preoccupied with even more than ever before. Maybe we're not washing our laundry by hand, but we, we freed up time to be busy with other things, you know? Yeah. And um, I know when I'm on my, my phone, I feel like I'm in a fog. Well, not in a fog. I feel like everyone around me is in a fog because I'm so zeroed into my phone. And um, I recently made a commitment to keep my phone off between 5 and 9 p.m. when my kids are home so that I can be present for this very important um, trait to be cultivated. I can't feel gratitude for my children if I'm not noticing them. So um, I think technology is a challenge. And, you know, I'm remembering now there's this dear family friend of ours that was planning to come visit us this past summer. And slowly but surely, we all got COVID. We all got sick. We're all better now, thank God, we're in complete health. But she was, um, we were planning this visit and then she couldn't come. And when I spoke to her on the phone, she said, you know, I, I was disappointed in not being able to come, but I so enjoyed the week of anticipation. And I thought to myself, wow, that is someone that's really living in the moment, that she savored the time of appreciation. You know, they say that with vacations, that's part of why people like planning vacations, not just the actual vacation. It's for the weeks towards the vacation, especially when life gets difficult. Oh, I have something to look forward to, the anticipation. But um, when we're so actively busy, and it's not like for most of us, we can just ban technology completely from our lives. We all have to do... Um, little things, big things, constantly reevaluate how we're interacting with technology to ensure that it's not getting in the way of being present. So I think lastly, an obstacle to gratitude is just our intense expectations of life and the things that we tend to take for granted in our expectations. You know, 
with all the problems in the world today, the fact is that we're living longer, the mortality rate is very low. And um, there was a time when it was normal for loved ones to die tragically young. You know, 100 years ago, I'm thinking about my grandfather, my mother's father, he came from a family of seven and only four survived. And tragically, this was the case in many large families. Statistically, it was a sad fact, a sad reality that you just hoped and prayed that your child would make it for whatever reasons. It was a turbulent time in history and there was not enough access to medication, technology, all the advanced uh, treatments that we have today. And um, th this was, they just accepted this reality that life was extremely fragile. It's just as fragile for us, by the way, but we just don't, uh, we're not so in tune with that fact because we have so much uh, sheltering us um, from, from that reality or, or uh, concealing that truth. So today, for example, when a, a, a child dies to child, when a child dies young, it, there's, there's the tragedy and the, and the pain of the grief. And then there's the pain of the expectation that we, of course he was gonna live a long life. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have those expectations, but the expectations have to come with the gratitude that, oh my goodness, I woke up this morning and all of my children are healthy under one roof. We're all here, we're all alive and not take that for granted. Even if we're not living in the middle of World War II or in some third world country that's having serious medical crises. You know, I went with my children to this um, museum in Palm Springs where it's really hot. Um, and they had this picture of a woman um, who, who had lived in this uh, bed and breakfast and her and her husband were the innkeepers there. And she was all dressed up in the full nine yards, the petticoats, the, you know, all, all the layers. And her husband also was wearing, you know, many layers and jackets and lo they looked very formal. And all I can think of is how bad I felt for her wearing all those layers in 110 degree heat and how miserable she must have been. But you know, the more I thought about it, I realized like she probably wasn't as miserable as I think she was. I mean, it couldn't have been easy, but she didn't expect cold air to just miraculously start flowing from the ceiling. She kind of just accepted that this was her reality. There was no, it was not the radar to get relief, you know, substantial relief from that heat. And meanwhile, you know, our air conditioning breaks down and what happens? It's like, you know, a, a, a national crisis. And how, could, how dare we not be able to defy nature when people right. haven't been able to do that for most of the world's history, right? So the reality is that we're living today, even um, a poor person in America today, or most poor people are still living better than the wealthiest kings and queens a century ago. We have things that they never dreamed of having access to. And um, our urgent expectations of how our home should run and how our air conditioning should be and how fast our, our technology should work um, makes us forget to be grateful for everything that we're interacting with in the first place. You know, when my phone is slow or my computer's slow and I'm frustrated, maybe I should try remembering that there, there's a large chunk of the population, the world population that doesn't have a computer in the first place. But again, we have these very urgent expectations of life. And when we talk about expectations, about taking things for granted, this includes the miraculous elements in nature that we have had for thousands of years. You know, last year I volunteered at a fertility clinic overseeing um, a Jewish couple's um, 
journey of, uh, of having in, in vitro fertilization. And looking at those cells under a microscope for the first time after having seven children, it is just mind blowing how much can go wrong and how much needs to go right for a new life to happen. Perfectly healthy cells, a perfect environment, perfect temperature, and of course, God's blessing. And I will never look at a new life the same way. Five years ago, I had a misdiagnosis. Um, I was misdiagnosed with PTTD, posterior tibial tendinitis disorder. And the doctor warned me I was going to have to wear a boot on my foot for the rest of my life. And I would have to, um, I wouldn't be able to do certain activities and I would have to have surgeries. And you can imagine it turned my life upside down. It was traumatic. I had a bunch of little kids and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to manage this? And I was limping along and I got a second opinion from a second podiatrist. And lo and behold, he took one look at my foot and he said, you do not have PTTD. You have a ripped tendon and you need to take care of it. And you can imagine how I danced, limp danced <laughs> out of the doctor's office. Um, so grateful. I felt like I had a new lease on life. Yeah. And ever since that experience, I, no matter what's happening in my life, when my, hit, when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I am so deeply grateful that I can actually go wherever I want to go. It's the most amazing, incredible gift. I remember my mother, actually, when I was six years old, she had a broken leg while she was in her ninth month of pregnancy. Oh my goodness. And still till today, she says that happened at 25. I'm 63. And I still get so excited that I can do what I need to do. I don't need a crutch. I can get a glass of water. I can go to the store. And then you can imagine what it was like with a bunch of little children. We are just so blessed. And to think, you know, I was reading an article recently um, from the Neshe Chabad newsletter about this woman who had prosthetics on her legs. And what was she grateful for? A morning that she wakes up and she doesn't have pain in her prosthetics. Wow. Right? Such a Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I know. It just, I felt such an overwhelming sense of gratitude when I read that, like, wow. Not just in the morning when I get up, but every moment that we're moving is an absolute miracle in all of our tendons and that we have our tendons, we have our toes. It's just incredible. And actually, you know, with Purim coming up, I feel like this is perhaps the core message of the perm story of the perm holiday is not taking things for granted. You know, if you look at Esther's story, Queen Esther's story, if you look at it on a superficial level, um, it's just a story. You know, King Ahasuerus had a queen, his wife, he killed her. He needed a new queen. Esther fills the space and uh, the, Haman has a plan for, Matt, for genocide and um, the Jews are saved and we move on. And you look deeper at the story, it doesn't seem very, you know, miraculous. <clears throat> it seems like an ordinary story. And of course you look deeper and you see that there were too many quote unquote random coincidences for this to just be an ordinary story. Why was Esther chosen out of thousands of maidens to be picked by King Ahasuerus? And how did Mordechai knew the exact language that Bixen and Sarish were plotting to kill the king. How did he know that exact language to then pass on this message to Esther? And, oh, wow, how, what, what, what a fun convenience that the same gallows that, that Haman had made to hang Mordechai hung Haman himself. Too many coincidences here for it to just be a coincidence. And actually, if you look at the Purim story, the way it's written in, the, in Megillus Esther, God's name is not mentioned once. And that in itself tells us the lesson that when we look at our own lives, our own life stories too, 
um, on a surface level, we can just say, I have an ordinary life. I had ordinary experiences. Some worked out better, some worked out more challenging. And here I am, to li and I, I live to tell the tale. And you look a little deeper and you see clearly the hand of Hashem in every aspect of our life and how we needed to meet this and this person at this and this time and just how Hashem has been there for us in every uh, time of our lives. So the answer to insatiability and the dissipation of emotions and the hectic life that we lead and all of our demanding expectations, there's a lot of obstacles there, you know, to gratitude, um, is what we discussed before is mindfulness, is being present in the moment, which leads to gratitude, which means that we're not taking the good things for granted. And, you know, you asked me for tips. It's, it's not sophisticated. It's, it's something that I still struggle with. And it's something that we need to practice until it becomes our default setting. That's really what it is. Um, I don't have any special tricks or, or wisdom. You know, I, I just know that when I'm present with my kids is when I'm enjoying and appreciating my kids. When I'm living in the moment, you know, when I'm exiting Costco and I'm dazzled by the sunlight and the perfect 73 degree breezy weather, when I'm present there, that's when I'm being grateful for the weather. When I'm taking the time to think about what the morning blessings mean, that I have clothing, that I can see, that I can walk and talk, that's when I'm feeling the blessings and feeling the gratitude and, and feeling the gratitude that Hashem wants me to be in this beautiful moment. It's so true and it's so profound and it's so meaningful. It, it gives me, you know, it gives me pause. You know, I'm just thinking about it and taking everything in. I mean, what you said about being present in the moment leads to gratitude. It's so true because, you know, we could be doing something. We could be having a conversation with somebody, yet our mind is, what do I need to do? Who, are, who do I need to pick up? What am I making for dinner? What's happening next week? Where am I going on vacation? And we're not really, yes, we're talking to the person, but we're not really talking to the person you know, it's, um, it, it ends up being very, very superficial and we're not as grateful as we could be when we're really present in the moment, we're having that meaningful connection with somebody. We're really connecting in our conversation. That's where the happiness comes in because that's where the connection is. You know, exactly. it's, it's so beautiful. And I love that you live in California and it's so warm <laughs> for the people who yeah. live in New York. It's going to be 20 <laughs> degrees tomorrow. We still have to be grateful. We have skiing here. I know you have skiing in California also. I know. But in New York, when it's cold, I mean, we have skiing, we have ice skating. And we, you know what? You were talking about the heat. anticipation. We, well, we have the anticipation because we're going to have the heat. We're going to have the summer. Like you said that your friend was going to come and she was upset that she couldn't come because you were sick. But she anticipated that coming. Here in New yes. York, we anticipate the warm weather. It really is a whole anticipation. Exactly. We're saying, yep, now it's February. Soon it's going to be March. It's going to get warmer by Pesach. You know, we won't have to wear the heavy jackets. It's it's. Right. It's very funny, but you're right. Yeah. That anticipation leads to gratitude. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. So now I want to, to talk about the direction and the destination for our gratitude. Um, I, I do know that you speak about having a destination for gratitude. And can you please talk to us about what it means to specifically direct your gratitude somewhere? Years ago, I was in a public school here in Thousand Oaks. It was Thanksgiving time. And there was a beautiful... Um, mural on the wall where children had drawn all the things they're grateful for. It was gorgeous. They had all types of glittery, colorful pictures of one kid was grateful for their parents. They drew a picture of the parents. Another drew a picture of their toys. Another drew a picture of the vacation they were going to go on. And they had all these pretty palm trees. And um, it was beautiful, but I couldn't put my finger on it, but it just felt 
a little bit impersonal, like everything was just floating there. And on further thought, I realized that the reason why I felt impersonal was because there was no address to the gratitude. It was, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that, but grateful to whom? Right. <laughs> for all the blessings. Right. And gratitude, like every thought process, has to land somewhere. You know, when we have a series of thoughts or just one thought, there's always some type of conclusion. That's how we process life. Even, even the person that's having racing thoughts, so they're going from one thought to the next, there's usually some theme that strings them all together. And there's some bottom line at the end of the racing thoughts. You know, someone might think about everything they have to do that day. I have to do this and I need to do that. And the bottom line might be, uh, my life is overwhelming me or the bottom line might be, I'm feeling so accomplished. Whatever it is, there's always a bottom line. It has to land somewhere. So gratitude also has to land somewhere. But if gratitude doesn't land on God, it often lands on things like luck or it can land on the self. For example, let's say I'm feeling grateful for my health. So I might say, I'm feeling so grateful that I feel healthy and vibrant. But you know, I take care of myself. I eat right. I exercise, you know, pat on the back. So then the whole concept of gratitude became about the self. Gratitude can land on luck. For example, a person might say, I feel so grateful that I live in a beautiful home. But, you know, I got lucky. You know, we worked hard and my neighbors also worked hard, but they didn't get as lucky. They didn't have such a beautiful house. They didn't make such a nice income. So some people get lucky and some people don't. Now, of course, you know, when it comes to feeling gratitude to the people in our lives, there's something called a karasatov. We're absolutely supposed to express gratitude. And let's say we had a doctor that helped us tremendously. Of course, we should show gratitude to that doctor. But then there's giving gratitude to the source of all the other things we're grateful for. And that is God himself. And to hinge our gratitude just on things, on people, on the self, certainly on luck, is a very fleeting, shallow, unreliable um, location for gratitude to land. You know, um, I have this, I take this yoga class and there's one particular teacher where at the end of the yoga class, after we finish stretching and meditating, we open our eyes and she says, thank yourself for coming. And it always makes me cringe like, really? Do we need to coddle ourselves that much? Like thank myself for coming? I mean, I guess I could give myself a pat on the back for having the discipline to come and to work, to do my best. But when she says, thank yourself for coming, I always add silently and thank you Hashem for my health. Wow. Like, you know, the whole point of life is to acknowledge that whatever good we have is to the, to a higher source. And gratitude is supposed to be a humbling experience. It's not supposed to be about me. It's not supposed to be about the self. You know, if you ask any addict that recovered with a spiritual program, a truly spiritual program, the antidote to addiction, which involves self-obsession, self-pity, self, 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 all of my problems, everything that I need, I want, is gratitude to God, which takes a person outside of oneself. And we see this humble gratitude with Yaakov. When Yaakov, our forefather Yaakov, was about to encounter his brother Esav, who's coming with hundreds of men, 400 men, and he did not know exactly what he was going, that encounter was going to look like. He could have been fraught with fear. And in that moment, he's filled with overwhelming gratitude. He looks at his beautiful wives and children and wealth, and he tells God, Katainti, 
I feel small. I feel small from all the blessings that you gave me. And Yaakov could have made it about himself. You know, I'm a self-made man. I worked very hard for many years. I had nothing and look at what I have now. I have tremendous wealth and power and wives and children. And what does he do? He, he, feels, he feels small in the face of these blessings. Katainti. So I'm going to indulge in etymology again. Okay, great. And look, at, <laughs> look at the word bracha, which we know means blessing. Um, but in, in our case, in this context, can also mean thankfulness. Now, the word bracha has the same letters as the word berach, which means knees. So what's the connection between blessings and knees? Our gratitude is supposed to bring us to our knees, so to speak. It's supposed to be a humbling experience. And my, I feel like my parents really modeled this for us, for me and my siblings. Um, <clears throat> anytime they were feeling grateful for us, they would look in the back seat and feel an overwhelming gratitude for their children, for the people in their lives, for um, the material blessings that God gave them. They always directed it to God. I've heard them say countless times, thank you, Abishter, thank you, Hashem. And I try hard to model this for my own children. I don't always remember, but you know, when I come back from a long trip from the city, from Los Angeles, and we make it home safely after an hour and a half, I try to remember to say, thank you, Hashem, for getting us home safely. Because we have to model for our children that whatever material acquisitions we have, whatever accomplishments we have under our belt, it's only because of Hashem, the source of all of our blessings. So I wanted to share one more etymological exploration. Please, and yeah. that is the word Yehudi, which means Jew, shares the same letters as the word Hod, which means, well, we can call it gratitude, acknowledgement. There's actually no English word to truly translate the word Hod because it's a combination of, it's like hu humble acknowledgement of my vulnerability. There is no English word for it. But we can say that to be a Jew means to be grateful. And that's why they share the same root. And I know all the jokes about Jews being notorious for kvetching and the, and, and the Jewish mother that's always complaining, but really it's in our DNA to be grateful. Collectively as a people and individually in our own lives and our own circumstances, God has given us a power to, to access gratitude. And you see again that there is not necessarily correlation between a person's life being easy or a nation's life being easy. And therefore, oh, we're overflowing with gratitude. You look at Jewish history, and there are times that it's just downright tragic and bloody, and we've had plenty of pogroms and massacres, and we've been thrown from here, thrown from there. And yet, for thousands of years, we've blessed Hashem, we've thanked Hashem hundreds of times a day, and we continue to do that. And, you know, acknowledging that God is not just in the good, but in the painful de details of our lives, um, which is what Jews have always done acknowledge that God is the source of everything that goes on in their lives is not just a gift that we give to God, but it's a gift that we give ourselves. It's the gift of meaning and purpose to our pain, which I think the human mind really thirsts for. It's the gift of knowing that my struggles are not about bad luck. Hashem is in this with me, together with me. And, you know, sometimes we're privileged to see the higher good that exists in our pain because all pain and all challenges have a higher good. We are told, we are taught. Um, sometimes we have to have faith that it exists, but we always have to acknowledge that God is with us in all of our experiences. 
and you know, Lev Yitzchak of Bardichev um, said very famously that if what's in my life is good, it's from you, God. And if it's Halila not, if it's not good, if it's a challenge, that's also you. That's also from you, Hashem. And we have the choice to acknowledge the source of everything in our lives every day. You know, there's a powerful um, letter from the Lubav Chereda to someone who was struggling with, with many challenges. And the original letter is in English. And the Rebbe says very powerfully that Adam and Chava, who were in the Garden of Eden, who had everything at their fingertips, I, they had such sorrows, and Adam is blaming it on Chava about the tree. And they end up being banished from this, from literally from paradise. And the Rebbe continues, and there were Jews that woke up in concentration camps that said Maida'ani, that thanked God for giving them a day of life. Wow. So we have that choice. Sometimes that choice is more of a struggle. Some mornings it's more of a struggle than on other mornings, but we have that ability to thank God for a new day of life, that ability to access God, to access Hashem in all the different facets of our lives. So um, I just want to end off with a story that my father um, went through many tragedies in his life. He lost his own father when he was 14. And then he lost two sisters that he loved dearly, um, very young. They left uh, young families behind. And then about 15 years ago, he lost his two brothers who were his two best friends a week apart. I'm sorry. He had a Levaya, he sat Shiva, and then he had another Levaya and sat Shiva back to back. And when I came back to California after these tragedies, I spoke to my father shortly after on the phone. And I said, Ta, how are you? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, Adank dem Eberstein. Thank you, Hashem. And it was just incredible to me that a man that had lost so much could still look around him and see things to be grateful for. And I just hope that I can live with that lesson for the rest of my life, that no matter what is going on, whatever painful circumstances, whatever struggles, whatever challenges, there's still so much to be thankful for. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And especially, I think what you said about God being with us in all our experiences highlights exactly what you just said. He's there in the good times and he's there in the not so good times, but he's always there. And it's right. so incredible and so comforting. It's so comforting to know that you're not alone. Even, you know, we, we all feel alone at times, you know, but we're never alone ever. Even when we're going through our darkest times, we're never alone. Hashem is always, always with us. And everything is from him. He, he gives us everything that we have, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all from him. And, you know, it's incredible. Right, but, but we have to, we have to know that even what looks bad and ugly yes. coming from, is a higher source of good. We just don't, yes. don't always see it right in front of us. Exactly. Exactly. Very well said. And we have just a few minutes left. I just want to ask you if you have any other thoughts that you would like to share with us today. So the Lubav Trevor was very passionate about spreading the awareness of Mashiach. And um, it's something I try to do here in our community. And I think that there's a very powerful link between Mashiach and gratitude. Oh, tell me. I love it. I love this. It's so fascinating to me. I can't wait to hear the answer. (laughs) So the Rebbe said repeatedly that if we just open our eyes, we'll see the Mashiach is here. So I guess, you know, on a, on a general level, on a macro level, it's kind of true because, again, we said we're living better with all the problems. People are living longer. 
and people um, value peace and, you know, we don't look at war, that war should be a default setting. In many ways, the world has become more Mashiachtic. It, it has an aura of Mashiach. Yes. But we also see people still struggling and people have a lot of tsaris and painful things that they're dealing with. Yes. So what does the Rebbe mean when he says, if we just open our eyes, we'll see Mashiach is here. So here's my take on it. Perhaps what the Rebbe is saying, and this is, this is how I view it. When we are grateful, we are getting a taste of more of what's to come. So if I'm sitting here feeling grateful for my health, very soon is going to come the day when everyone is healthy. Everyone will, no one will have aches and pains. Everybody will be vibrant. If I'm feeling grateful for my children, the day is going to come soon when everyone will have a child, everyone that wants one, everyone that is praying for one, everyone will have all of their needs met. And that's what I feel is the link between Mashiach and gratitude. The more we access gratitude, the more we can say, wow, I am experiencing this taste of Mashiach when my children are playing a board game peacefully and nobody's killing each other and they're taking turns and there's this flow and this give and take and they're helping each other. It's a taste of more of what's to come when Mashiach comes, when we will all live in peace. I love and perhaps that. that's what the Rebbe meant when he said, just open your eyes and you'll see Mashiach right in front of you. We can all right now see elements in our lives or perhaps physical things in the room that remind us that there's a beautiful reality that's to come that will just be intensified based on what we see now. That's so beautiful. That's wow. I really love what you said. You know, when you're when you're grateful, almost you're giving off that that positivity, those good vibes. And eventually, when Mashiach comes, everybody will be everybody will be blessed with revealed exactly. goodness. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So beautiful. So I, 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 I try to, in, in addition to accessing gratitude, which is in itself an exercise, like we talked about. I really try to link it to Mashiach, like not just oh, I'm feeling grateful for my health. Hold on, this is a Mashiachtika moment. There's so much more of this to come soon for everybody, God willing. I love it because it's almost like elevating the gratitude itself. You have the gratitude, which is already on a high level, but, but yeah. taking it, linking it into Mashiach is bringing it even higher. Amazing. Correct. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbits and Shula, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rabbits. And we really enjoyed having you here. We learned so much. I know that I did. And we hope that the learning we did today will be for the Rafua Shalema, for Hava Sarah, but Hayalea. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure.